This is titled Divine Love Sorrows.
So today's topic is Kriya Yoga, the universal technique for liberation. Um, I'm not sure what to do at this point. I really had something in mind, and that song was deeply moving. But let's do it anyways. (laughs) There's a deeply inspiring chant of Masters, I will be thine always, and let's just sing it together once through. I may go far, farther than the stars. I may go far, farther than the stars. But I will be thine always. My Lord, I will be thine always. Devotees may come, devotees may go. Devotees may come, devotees may go. But I will be thine always. My Lord, I will be thine always. When I die, look into mine eyes. When I die, look into mine eyes. They will mutely say, I will be thine always. My Lord, I will be thine always. My Lord, I will be thine always. That chant is so beautiful in really being the call of the soul, that whatever happens in our lives, that the soul is always there, reaching out, yearning to be at home in its divine presence, in its divine home. And the, the first verse that says, I may go far, farther than the stars. That's the ego taking us outside of ourselves in the myriad ways, the countless ways that will trick us, fool us with the sense indulgences, with attachments, activities, whatever it might be, that suddenly we feel we're at the extreme end of the universe, looking back at a long distance to our true soul home. And yet even there, The soul is their calling, maybe just a whisper, but Lord, I will be thine always. And then as we come on to the spiritual path, we may endeavor to take some bold steps of going back to our home in God. And we see around us that because of karmic reasons, some of our fellow devotees, our fellow disciples, our fellow gurubhais, for their own karma, fall by the wayside. And I think for many of us, we've experienced that. And it is disheartening. It's discouraging. It casts a shadow of doubt on our own ability to feel the confidence that we can continue on the journey at times. And yet behind that is that soul call, I will be thine always. And then finally, as we end our incarnation in death, as Swami Kriyananda refers to it as the final exam, that there we are, muted, but the eyes being the windows of the soul, 
call out with that pure depth of devotion and aspiration, I will be thine always. This is the reflection of who we really are, and all the speakers during this week have, in one way or another, touched on aspects of this soul call. And the soul call is there, but we need to then find the ways to make that our living experience. Not in the background, and not only in the foreground, but everywhere. Center everywhere, circumference nowhere. And to do this, we need to cooperate with divine grace, with the various things, again, that have been mentioned during this past week of attunement, of devotion, of attitudes, of qualities, of even working with um, the way that we sit, sitting upright, that we also need, though, this liberating technique that will take us to the ultimate goal of pure oneness in God. And so Kriya Yoga or other techniques like it give us that possibility, give us that journey, sort of the capping off of it and bringing it all together so that we realize completely that experience. Kriya Yoga or other techniques, as I said, like it, are important because they go to the central part of who we are. They're not dealing with the periphery, but going to the center of our experience in the inner spine. That is the reality that we're seeking, and Kriya Yoga allows us to be in that experience, to work with that energy on those subtler forms. But you know, delusion has its way of, of coming in with its trickery and maneuvering itself into our lives to uh, fool us at times. Uh, just to give you a couple illustrations, that one of my favorite Dennis the Menace comic strips is one where Dennis and his parents are outside of the church at the end of service, and the minister is greeting them, and he turns to Dennis and says, do you pray before you eat your meals? Do you say a prayer before you eat your meals? And Dennis replies with, by saying, I don't have to. My mom's a good cook. <laughs> it reflects something that actually goes on in our lives a lot. And we don't see it because it's too close to us. But when we get comfortable, when things are working out, when things are smooth, and it feels like, hey, maybe I I don't need to meditate. Things are going pretty well. Hey, life is good. My relationships are fulfilling. I've got a good job. Um, we're not living in Texas where there's a drought and heat. Um, you know, things are really moving along. But as Anandi at Sunday service spoke and read from a poem of Yogananda's, You Must Have Courage, that he says this important factor, a smooth life is not a victorious life. So. The fact that Dennis didn't understand that is pretty normal for a lot of us. That, hey, why should I pray if everything's going along well? If everything is fitting into what seems to be the right way my life is going? And that's easy to have happen. Because it's not as if it's black and white. It's right before you and you see the alternatives. Sometimes it's just woven into the fabric of your thoughts that you don't even recognize that you're slipping away from your intention of meditation. You're slipping away from the intention 
of working with the right attitudes. You know, suddenly that karmic seed of some negative reaction comes more to the forefront without us even perhaps noticing it until it's way down the road and it explodes in front of us. But there's another illustration that I like, and it's from a movie called The Freshman, which is a couple of decades old, and uh, Matthew Broderick and Marlon Brando play in it. It's actually a pretty good, funny movie. And uh, Matthew Broderick plays the freshman at college, and Marlon Brando spoofs his role from the Godfather movies as being the Mafia Don, but he plays it in a humorous tone. Uh, well, Marlon Brando's character comes to visit Matthew Broderick's character in his dorm room. And so he walks in, and he looks around, and he sees it's a small room. He's got a roommate in the small room. You know, cinder block, walls, everything's pretty basic. And he says, so this is what college is like. I guess I didn't miss out on much. <laughs> but again, it's an illustration of something that actually takes place in our lives that um, our impression is such that we see a certain perspective. And unless we're able to dig deeper, again, come to the central part of our being, of really knowing who we are, we can easily say, well, that's nothing. It's like being around Swami Kriyananda at times. You can miss something easily. That just being aware, not so much of his personality or the specifics, but the nuances of his energy and consciousness. Suddenly you can pick up on he's reflecting on something or is he expressing something. And if I've noticed if I'm not aware, it just slides by. It's gone. There's no connection for me. And But it's like a training to have someone like a Swami Kriyananda around for us not to just do it around him, but around life around all of our, our gurubhais, our devotees, even around strangers. Can we notice? Can we pick up on that experience? Well, the way we gain the, the traction, the momentum to be able to do that is through a technique like Kriya Yoga that takes us, as I mentioned, into the depth of our own cells. And really in that, we work with the energies that start to then dissipate and dissolve and release the karmic seeds that are there not only from this lifetime, which I think a lot of us can appreciate there's a whole lot of karma there just from this lifetime, but many lifetimes. And they're deep-rooted seeds. And they just need a little bit of uh, stimulus to sprout and bring us away from our divine heritage. But Kriya works with that energy. It's that most refined cooperation with grace that we have. But it can't just be left at something we do. Kriya Yoga ultimately becomes who we are. It is the truth of our experience. It is that way that we uncover the truth of who we are. And we're not pulled as much by delusion and ego, attachments, and desires. In the Bhagavad Gita, in the sixth chapter, which is the chapter on dhyana and meditation, Swami labels it true yoga. It's a nice way to see what meditation really is, true yoga. But that chapter is a powerful, ch I mean, they're all powerful chapters. Of course, we know that. But this one focuses on a lot of, lot of things that it's really good to reread 
and to take to deeper levels, to digest and make our own. Uh, Krishna speaks with Arjuna about the many ways that we can work with meditation, everything about right posture to how do we become more subtle uh, against the face of temptation. And at one point he says boldly to Arjuna that it is difficult to control the unruly mind. So he gives Arjuna that reality check that, aha, it isn't just like magic happens because we get techniques. No, we need to be engaged, as others have said this week. We need to explore and invest our whole being in that commitment of transformation. And so he, he offers, at this point, two important concepts and tools for the devotee to work with. The first one was yoga abhyasa, and the second one is vairagya. And yoga abhyasa, translated loosely, you can understand as um, the ongoing persistence of our practice. That ongoing persistence of our practice. Now, for a lot of people, what that conjures up in the mind is just the will part. You know, persistence, endurance. We're going to do this. We're going to put our effort into it. And that's a tremendously valuable part of how we work with the subtle techniques. Just as in the energization exercises, as we heard um, uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, that the balance that we emphasize in energization exercises that Yogananda brought to us is the will with awareness. They both have to be there if the experience is going to be true at its most refined experience. And so this yoga abhyasa means that we need to persist. Indeed, we need to keep going. As Yogananda phrased it, that we need to remain unshaken amidst the crash or breaking worlds. Well, that applies to our meditative practices and specifically to Kriya Yoga. Because in the Kriya Yoga initiation ceremony that we'll be having this evening in the three different levels, as a part of the ceremony, for those that aren't familiar with it, that each of us comes up to receive our personal blessing. And as we come up for that blessing, we are asked to say the words, I will. Signifying that we will endeavor to follow the vow that we've just said a few moments before. And that vow, for the most part, is about us dedicating with loyal faith the practice of Kriya Yoga as we've been taught it, which means it's a regular daily practice. And so that persistence is there. But you know, there's another flavor to Yoga Abhyasa, and that's being devoted to our practice. So it's a way of looking at devotion. Devarshi will talk more on devotion as he speaks, but it's important to bring this in at this time, that, that persistence really works if we can bring that devoted focus, that nothing will distract us, that we bring not only the forbearance of our energy and awareness, but we add the heart. We add that touch of complete immersion in the experience. Because the deeper practices, such as Kriya Yoga, really are asking us to go beyond just the doing part into being immersed in that experience as we do it. Vairagya simply means dispassion. 
And again, there's several ways of looking at this and incorporating this into our experience in the techniques such as Kriya Yoga. The first part is that we uh, look at that the intrusion of thoughts, attachments, desires, both in meditation and outside of meditation, need to be quelled. We need to be strong in our awareness, as if those things are uninvited guests intruding in our home when we're there to meditate. And the more that we can really feel the power of that conviction when we start our meditation, then that will carry through. As Gyandev mentioned, if we just spend the first five minutes of the meditation without restlessness and movement or distracting thoughts, then we have a tremendous momentum to go forward. So the dispassion to control the unruly mind means that we need to be clear and strong. We can't just sort of wishy-washy slide into the techniques. And guess what? We do that frequently. Um, but just to remind ourselves, no, let's really begin, whether it's Hong Sa, the Om technique, energization, Kriya, but especially with Kriya, that we're not just slipping into it. We're dynamically relaxed and focused with all our sincerity and openness of our hearts. The other part about dispassion is that we can look at meditation just as we perceive action in the deepest sense. You know, the term nishkam karma is used in the Bhagavad Gita as well. And it refers to this idea that we act without the attachment to the fruits of our action. Well, Paramahansa Yogananda said this equally applies to meditation. We need to meditate with dispassion that we don't have attachment to the fruits of our meditation. Because we will block by our own perception of what should happen the grace of God that comes through these techniques, and especially Kriya. But to simply offer ourselves with the willingness of our whole being, with our heart and soul and mind, then we already have that experience as our reward. And part of what Yogananda said, that these things will happen in God's time, which is the right time. Nice way to understand that. To trust, to have confidence that our karmas may be there that need to be worked out, that maybe flutter our focus at times, but need not worry. If we keep offering, if we keep moving forward, God will give us, in the right time, the oneness in Him. I want to end just with an experience that I've had in Kriya that um, I haven't shared before, so bear with me if it, it's touching to me. One time, in meditation a number of years ago when I was doing the Kriya technique, that I felt this openness and the image came, although the image wasn't the totality of it, but it was like rose petals being lifted up. And I felt the depth of my heart and my soul. Just the freedom of that release, that nothing else remained and just the purity of, of giving that completely in my experience. And then in the second part, which relates to the second part of the Kriya technique, is then those rose petals showered me as if Divine Mother was in each rose petal, deeply moving me and going past the image just to the experience. And this is what Kriya Yoga does. 
It takes us from the affirmation of the soul call, Lord, I will be thine always, to the oneness in self-realization that we are indeed completely one with God. Blessings.